0: week we've just called worship uh, with us and we've been talking about worship we've been talking about how worshiping together is different than worshiping alone and last week we said uh, we talked a little bit about church signs and how you know I'm, I think that signs that churches use that give you an opportunity to change the them every week may be one of the worst things we've ever invented because uh, most most of the time we don't know what to put on them but we got them, so we got to put something on them. So how many of you here last week and you, you saw the church signs? How many of you remember that? Yes? Oh, you want to see a few more? How many of you want to see a few more? Yes? All right, good. Four of you do. Good. All right, here we go. <laughs> Trust in God, but lock your car. <laughs> now, of, of all the things you could put in the 66 books of the Bible, I'm sure that would be the most important. All right, give me the next one. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Darth Vader. How many, how many Star Wars people we got in here? Come on. Yeah, I know, I see you. All right, yeah, yeah. Well, may, maybe that's not the best thing for some. Church parking only violators will be baptized. See, I actually like that, though. Like, like, we could just randomly have a section of the parking lot that's closer than everywhere else. If you park in that, we're dunking you. Too bad. You shouldn't have parked there. Now is a good time to visit our pastors on vacation. Houston, we have a problem. All right, blessing of pets, bring your dog or cat or whatever, hamster, gerbil, I don't know, whatever, fish, and lawn chair. All right, this will be a good day there. How to have a better marriage every Thursday. Now, (laughs) Friday to Wednesday on your own, but Thursday's going to be awesome. Can't wait for Thursday. Come worship with us. Okay, how many of you have seen somewhere, bulletin, sign, tweet, email, Facebook, right? Right? Come worship with us. How many of you have seen that somewhere? Yes? Good. So so come worship with us is this idea, uh phrase that we've probably overused, and so it's sort of lost a little bit of its meaning. So we've been talking about in this series last week. We talked about what worship is, and we said worship is recognizing God. Worship is when we come together and we recognize that it's not just us here. God is with us. God is in the room, God is, God is here. And so, maybe, maybe you've heard this statement. Uh, we tend to worship at work, work at play, and play at worship. Say that again. We tend to worship at work, work at play, and play at worship. Never have I seen a time where that is more true. We, we, we've got those connections confused. And so, that's not how we want to approach worship at all. Worship is when we recognize who God is... That he's all powerful, that he's all loving, that he's in a class all by himself, and that he's present. Look, the truth is, I feel bad for people who go to church and don't know God's here. Like I feel bad. I feel, look, we we can't compete with the talent pool of Disney World or some new movie or some technology, or that that's not what this is about. But I feel bad for people who go to church. Churches, let's face it, churches flat out boring. If you don't know God's there. It's just the same thing over and over and over, unless you recognize that Jesus is in the room, and now that changes everything. Yes, if you know Jesus is in the room, that changes everything, and so what, that's what worship is. Worship is, respo- is, is uh, recognizing God, and then worship is responding to God. If Jesus is here, what does he want? Once we become aware that he's in the room, we also become aware that he's inviting us and he's calling us toward him. So worship is responding to that call. Last week we read Matthew 18, 20. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. This verse says everything we need to know about worship. When Christians worship together, Jesus is right there in the middle of them. He is present. There's something about worshiping together that is different than worshiping by yourself. There's something different. Jesus' presence is shared by more people collectively. More people share the powerful experience of recognizing and responding to God. And in that atmosphere, Jesus does powerful things. So what happens when Jesus is here? Well, the Bible Bible tells us uh, in one story. Just after Jesus' resurrection, just days after, the disciples or his followers were locked down, hiding in a room, the doors locked, afraid that the Jews would come after them, the Jewish religious leaders, or the Romans would come after them and persecute them, arrest them, even worse than that, maybe crucify them the way that they crucified Jesus. They didn't really know what was going to happen. And they were accustomed to having Jesus there in the room with them in moments like that. But here they were because Jesus promised in John 14, 18, and 19 before he was crucified. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. However, (laughs) here they are hunkered down. In a room, with the doors locked, confused and frustrated, and Jesus is gone. He promised to be with them, but he's gone. The leader who led them through the last three years and who was a reliable voice of truth and wisdom is not in the room. And they are by themselves because they had an idea that this was going to end a lot different than it ended. Jesus was supposed to take back Jerusalem. Jesus was supposed to overthrow the Roman oppression. Jesus was supposed to put the Israelites and put the Jews and put the disciples back into power and restore Israel to its former glory when King David ran everything. And they were going to be right there at his right hand and his left hand ruling with him. Instead, he was mercilessly beaten and killed like a criminal. It did not turn out the way they thought it would. How many of you have ever had an experience where something didn't turn out the way you thought it would? (laughs) Yes, it's collective. Maybe you thought that the diagnosis you got at the doctor would turn out different than it did. Maybe you thought the job would work out differently than it did. Most people, if not everybody, who gets divorced didn't get married thinking that it would turn out like that. But it did. It turned out differently. You counted on someone who didn't come through. Or what about disappointment with God? I prayed and I read the Bible and I, and I went to church and I fasted and I did everything that I knew to do. Now tell me, where is God? Where is He? It turned out differently and, it's, and, it, and it breeds confusion and frustration and discouragement. And here the disciples are right in the middle of these raw emotions feeling abandoned. And the pressure was in the room. Jesus is gone. The one who started all this is gone. What are we going to do now? That's the pressure that was in the room. Suddenly, Jesus in his resurrected body walked through the door. And the first thing he said was, peace be with you. And at that moment, everything changed because Jesus' presence was in the room. So this morning, if you're taking notes, let me quickly give you three things that happen when Jesus is here. Here's the first one. Peace replaces pressure. Peace replaces pressure. The Hebrew word for peace, you've you probably heard somewhere, is shalom. Shalom. And the word shalom doesn't mean just the absence of trouble. And it doesn't just mean, I hope nothing bad happens to you today. Good luck. The word shalom, listen, means you are surrounded by God. So when Jesus entered that room and he said, shalom to you. He said, you are surrounded by God to you. You are surrounded by God. When we worship together Peace replaces pressure. Sometimes we walk in this room and it's just all we can do to get here. Right? It's the best we can do to show up. Like showing up is victory. You know, I got the kids dressed and one of them still half naked and I fought them and I'm wiping cereal off their face. And I'm doing everything I can do to get here. And it's been a bad day and a bad morning and a bad week. And I got money problems and, or relationship problems or emotional problems, children problems, marriage problems, physical problems. Did you know that anxiety disorders are the most commonly treated illness in the United States today? One third of adults in America have been affected by anxiety, some illness related to anxiety. And those are the ones that seek help. I I shared with you a few weeks ago. Uh, a couple of months ago we were trying to find help for someone and we were calling the psychiatric care facilities in the Greater Birmingham area and not one bed in the entire region was open every bed was full every facility was full it's not a joke the pressure the pressure that's out there It's not a joke. America is stressed out and it's driving us to mental anguish. But when we lift up our eyes and put them on God and we worship Him together, peace replaces pressure and then we're reminded we're not alone. It's not all up to us. The disciples were stuck in that room. We're all alone. We're all alone. We're all alone. Then Jesus walked through the door and He said, you're not alone. I'm here with you. I haven't left. I haven't gone nowhere. I had a great privilege uh, last week to attend a prayer breakfast at American Village where Condoleezza Rice spoke. And she she shared such a fascinating story. She said after 9-11, when the terrorist attack happened, and the president and the and, and the cabinet were trying to decide, you know, what are we going to do? They went to Camp David uh and there, that small number of people, the heaviness of what was going on in our country, the the protection of three hundred million people, and what is the right way to respond to this attack? The heaviness weighed on that little group of people. And she said, after dinner, we went into the living room. And when we went in the living room, she said, it just we had had a little break at dinner. And and kind of our minds wandered, but we went to the living room to talk business, and, and there it was. It was the pressure was unbelievable, and she said John Ashcroft, the uh, attorney general, spontaneously went to the piano in the living room at Camp David, and he started to just play the song. When his eyes on the sparrow, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. If his eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches me. And she said he played it over and over and over and over. And she said, I can't describe for you in that moment how comforting it was to be surrounded. She said, most of the people in that room were believers. And I can't describe for you the comfort I felt in that moment singing that song surrounded by believers. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus is in the room and we worship together, peace replaces pressure. Peace replaces it. If Jesus' presence can bring peace to that group in that moment, I bet you he can bring peace to you in any moment. That's why when we're together, we constantly encourage you. Maybe you're not from a church background. Maybe you're from a different type of church background. You say, you know, we didn't raise our hands. and We didn't talk. We didn't sing. We didn't stand. We We constantly encourage you to do something while we're worshiping. Because when you participate, we worship together. Not as a spectator. Not as a watcher. These people up here aren't the ones doing worship. We're the ones doing worship. And when you engage in worship, when you participate in worship, you are sharing in God's presence. And what we say, what we sing, becomes part of us. And so i got a question for you this morning. Do we sing what we believe, or do we believe what we sing? The answer is yes. When you sing it, you believe it more. And so when you come and you sing, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me, that truth becomes more real to your soul when you sing it. That's the power of worshiping together. When you hear other people around you sing it, when you know some of their stories and you know what they're going through, and you watch them in the middle of all that stand and sing it anyway, ah, there's a power to that. Jesus' presence is in that. It's the act of worshiping together that causes peace to replace pressure. Look, here's the thing. Just because we worship doesn't mean that you and I have all of our questions answered. I like to know. Do you? I like to know. I want to know why. Don't tell me what. Tell me why. I want to know why this happened and why that didn't happen. And I want to know why. That's how my nature. I think it's human nature, generally. But when I come together with you and we worship, I don't have all my questions answered. But you know what does happen oftentimes? The pressure of needing to know the answer goes away. And peace fills that space where there was once pressure. Peace replaces pressure. Here's the second thing that happens. Clarity replaces confusion. There's this story in Scripture where two guys are walking down a road talking just a couple days after Jesus was, was killed, was crucified on the cross. And, and the whole region is just inflamed with this story about this guy, this carpenter, this leader, this rabbi who's been crucified and what does it mean and who was he and how did all this work and they're discussing this and Jesus, who's dead and resurrected from the grave, comes and walks alongside them. Now that would have been a pretty cool moment. To be two guys walking on the road and Jesus walks up next to you. But the thing is, the Bible says he, they didn't recognize him. I don't know how that works, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't, they didn't know. You know I, I don't know if you know, what a resurrected form looks like. But they didn't recognize him. And, and as they were talking, they were talking about Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus began to explain to them... Who he was, and about the Old Testament, and how this fulfilled everything that God said in the Old Testament, and why he had to die, and all that. So uh, they kept walking, went to their village, went to their house, and he even stayed and ate with them for a little while. And in Luke 24, we pick up the story. uh, The Bible says, when he was at the table with them, Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Watch this. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scripture to us? See, when Jesus' presence is here, something powerful happens inside of us and it's called clarity. When we worship together, our eyes are opened. We see things we didn't see before. Our understanding becomes more clear. Truth replaces our fantasies and our fictions. It is a revelation of light. It is a revelation of God's truth. It is a revelation of God's glory. Clarity shines a blinding light on the dark things that Satan and our own weaknesses try to get us to believe. But when we rally together and we worship together and we recognize that God is with us and we respond to Him, our clarity comes inside of our mind. I'm, I'm going to tell you, we live in very confusing times. We live in very confusing times. But when we worship together, great clarity and truth comes to our soul. Last uh, A couple of months ago in March, we shared a series called The Cross Equals. And what we talked about is the things that Jesus' death on the cross provides for us. And one of the things we said is Jesus' death on the cross provides for us a new identity. A new identity. Because Jesus died on the cross, you are not who people say you are. You are not maybe even who you thought you were. You are not even the things you've done. And you're not the things that were done to you. Jesus' death on the cross gives you a new identity. You can be a brand new person in him. So that was the point of the message that morning. There happened to be a man in that service who had never been to Kingwood Church, as far as I know. May have never been in church in his life. Had never been to church in years at least. And everything had gone wrong for him that morning. Everything had gone wrong. He he was struggling to get here. He got here very late. He got here during the last worship song we sang. So he, he walked in the room. You can imagine how strange everything looked to him, not having been in a worship service in years and years and years. He slipped into an open seat, and as the worship was going on around him, Jesus' presence just grabbed his heart. And as he stood there listening to all of you sing, it was in this service, the 1030 service, He just began to weep. Just uncontrollably weep. And as as I preached that morning, he cried through most of the sermon. And we got to prayer time. And we invited people to respond to Jesus' presence. That's what that is about. And he bolted straight for one of our pastors and he said in tears, I need a new identity I need a new identity and that morning he prayed to follow Jesus and a few weeks ago we baptized him in water isn't that incredible now let me tell you in his words he said from the time I walked in the room I felt something different it was like a light came on and everything made sense it's so important that when we're together we recognize Jesus presence is here because clarity replaces confusion clarity comes we live in such confusing times we need moments and experiences and encounters and voices of clarity And when we worship together, clarity comes. Another man came for prayer a few weeks ago, and he said to to one of our prayer team, I've been here many times, listen, I've been here many times, I've been coming to church, I've been doing my duty to attend service with my wife, but today during the message, it's like God opened my eyes and showed me how far I've strayed from him. Pray with me because something's got to change. Last week, I had a lady beeline for me after one service in tears and she said, I'm tired of living the way I'm living. I've got to change. Do you understand? We don't have the ability to produce that in anybody else. But Jesus does. And we are at the very beginning of renewal. Renewal. And the, when God does renewal in this church and in this city, people's lives you never thought would change are gonna start changing. And that's what we're beginning to see the very first fruits of it. It is so exciting to watch and to be. I feel sorry for people who go to church and don't know Jesus is there. Because he is there. You got a guy who hasn't been in church all his life. Shows up and starts crying and says, I don't know what's going on in my life and why I'm crying. I've never done this, but I need a new identity. And somebody's sitting behind him yawning going, oh, another Sunday. Ah. What is that about? It's about not knowing Jesus is in the room. But when Jesus is in the room, clarity comes. about a month ago we were in our our pastors were praying together and in that prayer time Jeremy said I, I, I think God is directing us to pray for difficult things and and I think here's how he's directing let us pray for them followed by the statement and God that's what you do so some of your faces came to our mind and some our church's circumstances and the, uh, what's going on in our own city and around us. And we begin to pray those things out and we said, God, would you heal this person of cancer? That's what you do. God, would you deliver this person from debilitating uh, depression? Because that is what you do. Lord, would you take this person who's away from you, this family that's unreconciled, this marriage that's on the rocks, God, would you reconcile, would you restore, would you bring back to faith again? Because that's what you do. And man, as we prayed it, I can't even describe for you. It's, the atmosphere in that prayer room changed. And it's like Jesus walked in the room and the presence of God just flooded over those seven or eight guys as we prayed together. And so many times since that prayer time, you've heard us use these two words, only God. There's some things that only God can do. And God, that's what you do. You do what only you can do. And some of you came this morning, you got some only God things going on. And the truth is, if you're just honest about it, there really isn't another answer. It's just God. God's the only answer. Only God can help now. Peace replaces pressure. Clarity replaces confusion. And there's one more thing that happens when Jesus is here. There's a story that happened a few days before Jesus' death in Scripture. It's the story of a woman uh, caught in the middle of adultery. Now, uh, you have to define these things now because there's so much confusion. Uh, Adultery is when somebody has sex with somebody they're not married to. So this woman's having sex with someone she's not married to, and she got caught in the middle of it. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, get her, drag her to Jesus and say, let me tell you what we caught her doing. We caught her. We We saw her. Now, the guy wasn't there, mysteriously. Might have been one of their buddies. We caught her. Because they didn't care about—I don't even know if they cared about morality. What they cared about is trapping Jesus, because he was dangerous for them, because he upset their system. There's a whole sermon there, and so he said, "They," he said to Jesus. They said to Jesus, "Now, what do you say about that?" And they were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him in a conundrum and a legal trap. Here's how Jesus responded in John chapter eight, verse seven. Jesus, uh, the Bible says, when they kept on questioning him he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, I want the perfect person to step forward and kill her. Again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first because they knew they were busted. The younger ones, it took longer for them to figure it out. They eventually caught on, right? Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing in the midst, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where, where, where are they? Where would they go? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now here's the third thing that happens when Jesus' presence is in the room. Love drives out fear. Love replaces fear. When Jesus walks on the scene, this woman is afraid for her very life. Had Jesus not been there, she would have died. They would have caught her, they would have gotten the rocks, they would have stoned her to death, and she'd have died. And she'd have died in her sin. And they would have felt justified because that was her punishment. That's the way they felt about it. Now, Jesus didn't come to condemn her, though. Most of us know John 3.16. If for no other reason, the crazy guy stands in the end zone at the NFL games with John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. But do you know John 3.17? The next verse says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world Jesus didn't come to condemn the world he didn't come to punish and judge and condemn why why did he come to to save us see the next line says to save the world through him Jesus wasn't there to condemn that woman he was there to save her now that's a big deal She was filled with fear. She was filled with condemnation. She was filled with shame and rejection. But when Jesus is on the scene, love replaces fear. Jesus' first priority was not his father's laws, but his father's love. And that's what he was communicating to her. It's amazing to me. All of these women's accusers have left. She's standing there alone with Jesus. And it's amazing to me that when this woman is hopeless and helpless and guilty. She's guilty. She did it. And she's standing in the circle of condemnation. Jesus stood in the middle of the circle with her. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus could have taken any position in that gathering he wanted. He could have stood on the edge, left her out in the middle by herself and said, Now you guys need to leave her alone. Or he could have stood on the edge and picked up a rock and said, You're right, she's wrong, let's get her. But Jesus steps in the circle and stands with her. And he becomes the target of condemnation. He becomes the target of shame. He becomes the target of their their anger and their hatred and their judgment. Jesus took her place. There's a lot of good theology there. That's exactly what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. He took our place in the circle of condemnation. And that's what he does. If you were raised in a church background with strong legalism you know what condemnation feels like. If you were raised in an abusive situation, you know what condemnation feels like. It is putting you down and shameful, and it's filled with rejection. Do this, or I'll reject you. Do good, do right, because if you don't, I'll reject you. And do you remember, that's what one of the church signs said that we put up last week. God loves you unconditionally, except for one thing. Except for when you obey Him, you got to obey Him, that's when He loves you. Well, that's a condition. That's not unconditional. If Jesus only loves us when we're good, then He doesn't love us. Jesus loves us when we're bad. And it's actually his acceptance and love that gives us the power to change. Because there's no fear. Love replaces fear. And then we're not afraid anymore. We're not afraid of what's going to happen. Rejection is one of the most powerful tools of Satan to control us and to keep us away from God rejection and fear work together and the thing we fear most is rejection we fear the future and we fear not measuring up and we fear not dressing right and not fitting in and we, we fear getting our feelings hurt or we fear rejection so the first time we get our feelings hurt a little bit, we break relationship off we do a preemptive strike I'm going to reject you before you have the opportunity to reject me my feelings are hurt so I'm, I'm leaving I'm done And all of that is based in deep fear. We fear bad news. We fear mostly rejection, though. Satan keeps us weak, and he controls us by fear and the fear of rejection. But look, Jesus is here today, and as we worship him, as we gather together in the presence of God and worship him, we are filled with love, and that love replaces fear. Last week, something occurred to me during our soak service probably the best soak worship service we've ever had that's my opinion unbelievable rich sweet deep presence of God it was it was glorious and something occurred to me as the service crested and people began to talk and Fellowship a little bit. I said, you know, I told a couple of our pastors, you know what happens when we come together like this and we worship and we meet God's presence fresh and real, you know what happens? We love each other more. Why? We love each other. i tell you how I know because the service ends and you won't go home. Just sit there and talk and cry and hug and smile laugh and high-five what is that about why do we love each other more when we worship God oh it has a lot to do with this and this right here when we get this right oh this is so much easier We come, it's not a song or two. We come together and we worship and we worship and we meet God. And what happens is our fear and our fear of rejection is healed a little bit more. We get a little bit more strong, a little bit more secure, a little bit more. And then we are free to love each other with abandonment. You know why? We are so accepted by him that it's just okay if you don't accept me. I'm so loved by him. I'm so filled with his presence. I'm so full of the love of God. It has driven away all the fear of rejection. Now I am free to love with risk. I'm free to be offended. I'm free to be frustrated. I'm free for you to let me down. I'm free for you to disappoint me. I'm free for all that because he never will do any of those things. And I'm not looking for you to take his place anyway. And that's what happens. Now... It don't happen in the first song or two. Oh yeah. Not yet. Not yet. No, you gotta. You can't check the box. You know what I found? It takes time. But boy, when we come together and we worship and we meet God and we hear God and we pray for each other and minister to each other and 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 God's presence fills the space. His love just flushes out all kinds of junk. And there's a great peace. And there's great clarity. And there's a great safe place. And there's deep love in the room. But it takes time. It don't take God time. He don't need it. It takes us time. It takes us a while to detox it, which, by the way, is the reason that we do soak and is the reason that we do camps. If you have not registered your kids yet for Beach Freak or Kids Camp, I can't more strongly encourage you to do that. There's no better time in our culture than now. I've never been on a spiritual retreat in my entire life that God didn't do something in my life that he wasn't doing back home. And it wasn't because he wanted to, didn't want to. It's because I couldn't get to it. Because my rhythm and my pace and all of this was going. On. Look, I go to Beach Freak as a, as a chaperone. I get there to Beach Freak. And you know what? God does something in my life every year. You know why? I get out of my routine. I get out. I get more open. And I'm just going to tell you, your kids, at football camp, soccer camp, cheer camp, and camp camp. Whatever other kind of camps there are. And everything got their own camp. McDonald's camp. Whatever camp there is. None of that's going to happen there. None of it. But when you get away with God, that's what soak is. Take some time for all that junk to wash out. God starts to fill you, and love drives away all the fear. Jesus told his disciples, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Peace replaces pressure, clarity replaces confusion, and love replaces fear. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. Every eye closed, would you just find a place that you can get comfortable? Just find a place that you can get still for a minute. All our prayer team, if you come.